0: morning, everyone. Uh, Kevin just applauded uh, our generosity. I wanted to applaud one other thing. I love how much we as a community are so focused on mission in this city. The fact that we continue to partner with organizations, that we invite people into this building, as dilapidated as it is to... Uh, have meals and to play games and to office out of here and uh, Last night uh, was a testament to that. Uh, I got to be at the Young Life Banquet uh, fundraiser Man, like half of this room was there and that is so amazing to me that we are committed to loving teens and loving an organization that's doing that so effectively in our city And uh, we have incredible leaders here and um, Hans being one of them sitting right over there last night. If you are not able to go, I'm telling you now, mark it on your calendar for next year. Uh, Not only only is it uh, fun fun and we get to interact interact together, together, but but it is uh, is supporting uh, supporting a great cause. cause. And the evening, evening, honestly, honestly, you're going to belly laugh at least least a few a few times. Uh, Because Um, of how fun the evening is together so So, I'd encourage us continue to lean lean into into that that new new community to be on mission and to be Investing investing uh, the way that we are uh, This Uh, this morning We are starting starting a new series again, and it feels like we just started the last one better together But that's because we decided a year and a half ago to spend all of 2019 each month looking at a different topic And uh, really really asking, asking, what does the scripture say say about about the particular particular topic topic that we're talking about? about. And uh, Uh, we're at the end end of the liturgical liturgical calendar. calendar. So So this will be the last 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 series series. where we do that. And then 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 December December will be be Advent. Advent. So So I know that we're not quite at 2020 yet, but the way that we look at the Christian calendar, that is the beginning of the calendar. So, we, so anticipate we anticipate the arrival, arrival of, of Jesus. Jesus, we celebrate, celebrate the incarnation, incarnation, and that's what and we're, that's gonna we're gonna do gonna for December. December uh, four, uh, four, four weeks meals, focused on that, on, that. on that, hope, peace, hope, joy, peace, love, love as kind of secondary and themes, themes, and uh, we'll, we'll have, have some, some great, great opportunity, opportunity, opportunity to, um, to interact in that, in that as a community. community. This, this month, however, we are starting a series called Imago Day, or the image of God. And uh, this uh, series series will be be really really a reflection reflection on kingdom, kingdom, sexuality, sexuality and covenant. covenant. And uh, And, uh, it's it's designed designed to renew renew our call as a community community to to how how the church should relate relate to this topic topic of sexuality. sexuality. And I am uh, am actually actually very, very excited excited about this series series because it's it's another another invitation for us uh, to to walk walk into the ways of Jesus. It is a, going to be a call for us and a challenge to us as a community to best understand and embody the life of Jesus and what it is that he's calling us to in this city. So as we so start the uh, series and series as we start the talk today, today, today uh, I, have, I s- have some specific goals, specific so, goals. I, figured so I figured what I would I do would is try to set, set some expectations, expectations early because as soon as you soon can you set can expectations, expectations about what it is you're going to say, say, then it, uh, for uh, some it puts them at ease, for others we know what we're going to talk about and it becomes clear. So, so. I figured I I would start start by those. One one, this is the first first expectation expectation that you should have for this morning. This 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 is is part part one of a a four-part talk, talk. okay? Okay. Part one of a four-part talk, which means we're going to interact with this topic for the whole month, and each week we'll build on the previous week. So this week will happen, and then next week we'll build on what happened the week before. So So I'm warning you in in advance. advance, Today today will feel like like it was an abrupt abrupt end end to the talk. talk. It'll feel like like there there wasn't really even some applicational points. points. Where is is Russ Russ even going with this? Well, because because it's just part 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 one of four. four. So you got to give me three more weeks to get to all the good stuff, right? So like we're just building. So you should feel that. It might feel that way for you. Uh, Second, this talk talk actually actually builds off of a talk talk given given a year year ago. ago. So a year ago, I did a two-part talk uh, um, on the value value of having a high high sexual sexual ethic. ethic. And And because because I I anticipated anticipated that that none of you you would would actually actually remember remember that that talk, Um, Uh, I know that's not an offense offense to me at all. all. It's okay. Uh, We Uh, actually actually set set up up a a little page page on the website. website. If you go to backslash backslash Imago imago Day, day, uh, there will uh, be be any uh, talk that that I reference reference, and any any illustration that I use today will be on that page. I think it's also in the bulletin. So you could just go there and each week we'll refresh it for the whole month. So uh, anything uh, that we refer refer to will be be on that particular particular, uh, site. Uh, Um, um, The third third thing thing that you can can maybe uh, expect uh, expect for today today. is today is is going to be be more more of an an overview overview of the narrative narrative of scripture scripture as it relates relates to sex sex and sexuality. So what that means is we're not going to spend time today looking at one particular passage or breaking that passage down Or digging digging into into a particular uh, particular portion of scripture, scripture, we're going going big picture, picture, all right? We're going going big big overview, overview, big idea. idea. Um, Um, And in fact, even in this series, there might be times, times because we're we're taking an an overview early on and then we start start to settle settle into into stuff later, later. there might be even times today that you go, like, I thought this was on sexuality, but like, Russ didn't even talk about sex. Like, it barely barely even came came up up in what we're talking about. And that shouldn't be alarming. We're not not really really gearing gearing this this series or this particular particular talk talk toward, like, personal applications applications related related to to, uh, sex and sexuality. sexuality. So, So we've done done many many of those talks before on sex before marriage, pornography, masturbation, all of the good things. I mean, the standard church responses don't do them. That's your talk for the day on that, right? So, when, when, when we when talk we about, talk those, about things, those things, that's generally things the way we approach way we it. Approach so we're going to go, go a different, different angle and, uh, and uh, take, a take a broader, overarching, overarching perspective. perspective. And, and, and part of why I, of think, why it's I think it's important to do this is, is when, when the, church the church or anybody, anybody really starts, starts to talk to about big, big and complex, complex ideas, ideas, what we what want to do is take a grand narrative and put it into a bunch of bullet points. Okay? Okay. That's our tendency. tendency. And I get it it because what we don't want want to do is become paralyzed paralyzed by complexity. complexity. The subject subject of sex and sexuality sexuality is incredibly incredibly complex. complex. And so what we do is we try to shoot for bullet points rather than big ideas. And we're going to go the opposite direction and shoot for big ideas. Because bullet points, I think, think, uh, often often lead us down down a road road that we think will bring about about less complexity, complexity, but they don't actually actually take us where we want to go go or are successful successful, as we'd like them to be. I'll give you an example so you see what I mean. We could start this same talk and start with the biblical importance of sex, bullet point number one. And we could take this approach, and what we could say is, Before God ever says, think about this, before he ever says, have dominion over the earth, before he gives us the responsibility to care for creation and be a co-creator with him, before he ever says, go and make disciples of all nations, share the gospel with everybody, before he ever says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and all of your strength, he says to his people, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The text starts off with have some sex. That's the like the Hebrew translation, right? This is also how you know Genesis was written by a man, right? I'm sitting around, <laughs> sitting around thinking, and he's like, well, I think we start with sex. That'd be a great, great place to start, you know? Um, and so we have this first command right from the very beginning that's about about sex. And regardless of how important this truth is, and regardless of how central this bullet point is, that sex is very important in the biblical text, I don't actually think us knowing that makes the complexity of sexuality any simpler. It's not like we learned that bullet point and we're like, oh, well, we figured it out now. That's going to be a whole lot easier. Um, So reductions don't always lead to uh, getting us where we want to go because what happens when you um, create reductions to the story as you miss out on the bigger narrative, and sometimes it means that we've reduced the Bible to a set of rules. So N.T. Wright talks about it this way He says, It's important that we do not reduce the Bible to a collection of true doctrines and right ethics. There are plenty of true doctrines and right ethics there, of course, but they come within a larger thing, which is the story of how the Creator is rescuing and restoring the whole creation, with His rescue and restoration of humans at the heart of it. In other words, it isn't about do we allow this or that. To ask the question that way is already to admit defeat, to think in terms of behavior as a set of quasi-arbitrary and hence negotiable rules. See, what N.T. Wright is getting at or expressing is that everything that we believe is part of a much bigger narrative. That's why when we break things down into just small parts, we're missing maybe our role or the part we play in the grand story. This applies to mission, this applies to ethics, and it certainly applies to sexuality. So this morning what I wanna do is to look at three illustrations that I think speak to the movement of the text, and to sexuality within the scriptures that I think will give us some context and a, again a much bigger picture context of uh, sexuality. So the first one and uh, this might be new to some of you to the others of you that have been a part of New community for a while it will be uh, less new but it is certainly worth uh, remembering again. The first idea that we'll talk about is redemptive trajectory. And what I mean by that is we are in a constantly evolving narrative that starts from the beginning of time. Our understanding of everything is that God breathed, and as he breathed, the world and all that we see was spoke into existence, and from that point forward, God has been seeking to interact with us, seeking to love us and demonstrate his love to us, and central to that is to communicate to us. And one of the most powerful ways that he's sought to communicate is through the scriptures. That is why we here place so much priority on trying to strive to understand the revelation of God through his word because it is one of the primary ways in which he speaks. Now, it's important though to understand that when we approach the scriptures that we're looking at the text from a much different perspective than the original readers were. I'll give you an picture to illustrate this. The person on the left of the scriptures is uh, looking at the teaching of scripture from a forward perspective. The person on the right is seeing the scriptures by looking back into the text. And so what this creates are two unique perspectives. The first, for the person on the left, the revelation is one that's forward-moving, meaning that as history is unfolding, stories of faith are being recorded that the revelation is moving the person more and more toward the teaching of Jesus. From their place in the story, the teaching of scripture is a major shift forward in the way they understand culture and ethics and their approach to the world. Now the person on the right, or us, we're looking back into the text and reading an ethic that is often considered frozen in time. Others might call it a fixed ethic. And so you have two unique perspectives. And this means that the teaching or the command that we are looking at is one that's spoken into a specific context to a specific people at a specific time for a specific reason. And then we are charged with the hefty responsibility to understand that teaching and then to bring it into our context. That is a weighty responsibility. Which leads to picture two. We believe that what is happening when we read the scriptures is that the teaching of scripture is moving in the story in such a way that the trajectory of the text is always toward redemption. This would mean, or another way of saying it, is that the teachings of Jesus and the scripture as a whole are leading us to become more and more people of redemption, wholeness and reconciliation another way of saying that is this that the teaching is not static it's progressing and it's calling us to a more perfect representation of the kingdom in order to tease that out in a little finer detail and this might seem like it is a definite big switch in trajectory instead of talking about it to start through the lens of sexuality, we'll talk about it through the lens of slavery. So to a person on the left of the Bible, the teachings about slavery would have seemed like a major progressive giant leap forward in their understanding of culture and the way they looked at the world. To us reading the scriptures from the right, this would not seem to make any sense. From our perspective, the answer is pretty simple. There should be no slavery Freedom and equality is what the scriptures teach. And we would be shocked to believe or hold that anyone would feel that slavery would be okay. This is where reading the Bible gets interesting. I'll give you an example, another illustration. I want you to think of the Bible in terms or the, the way that we look at the Bible in terms of eras. So you have the creation, from creation to the ten words, or the ten commandments. Then the next kind of season of time is from the law to the New Testament, including the intertestamental period. Then we have the New Testament writings, and then we have like Acts and On, which is part of the church age, letters and things explaining the way the church should operate, and that is the current age that we're still in, right? So we're still in this space, and then eventually we'll get to this eternal age, or the way we would understand the kingdom being fully realized or at hand. Now if you look at the way that slavery is talked about throughout the scriptures or the treatment of people, I'm not gonna go verse by verse because we don't have the time, but I'll just give you each of the sections, the way that the text is moving. So early on, the treatment of people was a bit barbaric. You'll read in the text and you'll read in outside literature about those times that ownership was the attitude, that people had no problem with ownership because people were property. This is especially the case for women. Slaves were used for labor and reproductive purposes. Basically, they're at the the whim of their master, whatever it is that he or she wants. Uh, Sexual violation or the taking of a life of a person was viewed as normative. You often hear that in the Old Testament text. If someone, we read about it last week, if someone uh, disobeys the Sabbath, they shall be put to death. These are normative practices for the culture at large. Now the first major teaching about slavery as we move into the Old Testament text changed the perspective with a big shift forward, but it still left a lot coming up short. What I mean by that is foreign slaves were still, in the text, encouraged. So you didn't want to have ones from your own people group, but having foreign slaves, no problem. Sexual violation, you see this in the Old Testament text, of a slave versus a free person had different consequences. Also, the uh, value of a slave's life compared to the value of a free person's life had different consequences. Again, these are things that you begin to see as the text is unfolding. You get more into the latter part of the Old Testament and into the uh, intertestamental period, and you begin to see some softening and a further progression toward the way slaves are treated. For example, they begin to talk about, the text begins to talk about, a generous number of days off, the release of Hebrew slaves after six years. You see things like uh, limitation on the amount of physical abuse or beatings that you could give. Uh, There was an elevated status in worship. So it went from them not being able to worship to being included but just on the outside of the temple. So you see this movement of change related to the way we understood or the text was explaining uh, slavery. And then finally, you get to the New Testament, and I know we're rapidly going through, like, the history of all people. And we get to the New Testament, okay, and you see things like this. Ephesians. Um, We're on Ephesians. Do we have Ephesians up there? No? Let's uh, drop that. There we go. Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Slaves, obey your human masters. Masters, treat your slaves with respect. Uh, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect, not just when they're watching. These are the statements in the New Testament related to slavery and related to the way that masters treat their slaves and slaves respect or treat their master. So what you notice in the New Testament is there's a mutual respect and love, or there should be, between slaves and their owners. But if you studied the text in all of its completeness and looked at all of the New Testament teaching on slavery, you would notice that the Bible never explicitly teaches against slavery. This is why slavery was such a divisive issue in the church at one point. This is why there was such anger between a group that said, well, it's not condemned, therefore it should continue, and a group that said, no, way because it was never condemned which takes us back to picture number two if you think about and you look back on perspective of this movement in the text you start to see that there's a spirit in the text the logical extension of that scripture is then to seek to live into what's considered an ultimate ethical application or another way to say it is in reality with slavery, we have gone further than the text teaches. The text had a static moment in time teaching. We've gone beyond the text to understand ultimately the kingdom reality that there is complete and full equality for all people. So what we're doing is striving to live into the future reality in the present moment. So our genuine interpretation of the text involves seeing the spirit of the text and turning it loose on the world today. I want to say that again. Our genuine interpretation of the text involves seeing the spirit of the text and turning that loose on our world today. This means that we are on a trajectory toward the reconciliation of all things. Now, some of us I know in the room go, yeah, slavery, pretty obvious illustration, makes complete sense. We know we're looking back into it. There's another one that makes sense too, and that is the way that women were treated throughout the scriptures and throughout time. The trajectory of the ancient culture was one of strong patriarchy and many abuses to women. Poor treatment, treated as property, treat, uh, have no rights, no equality. Not even close. In fact, even early on, part of, I know this is going to sound uh, a little frustrating, but the Ten Commandments, the tenth one, do not covet. Do not covet what? Donkeys, I think it says ass technically, but donkeys, um, wife, etc., etc. Why? Because those were all things listed under property, right? So early on, the text is speaking about these things and really, like, frustrating, discouraging, from our perspective, ways, right? And then we find that we move into a further part of the Old Testament, we have more moderate patriarchy with fewer abuses, but by no means is it what we would desire. And so there's this continued movement. We move into the New Testament, and we see a stronger endorsement for equality, but still within its cultural context. And now in our present culture, we're seeing a continued improved status for women, But all of that, I believe, still falls short of what is the ultimate ethic and the correct final trajectory, which would envision interdependence, mutuality, and a fully realized kingdom equality. That is the future that should be lived into in the present. Can I get an amen, women? Thank you. So all of that, what does that have to do with sex? I thought we were talking about sexuality in the kingdom. Um, What we've talked about so far is this like movement of the text, this trajectory calling us to more freedom, right? And yet here's an interesting thing about sexuality in the text. We have this counterintuitive movement in the Bible that actually means that the ethic of sexuality narrows over time and that narrowing ethic is actually the most redemptive one. So, N.T. Wright says this, we need to remind ourselves that the entire biblical sexual ethic is deeply counterintuitive. All human beings some of the time and some human beings most of the time have deep heartfelt longings for kinds of sexual intimacy or gratification which do not reflect the creator's best intentions for his human creatures. Intentions, through which new wisdom and flourishing will come to birth. Sexual restraint is mandatory for all, difficult for most, extremely challenging for some. God is gracious and merciful, but this never means, quote-unquote, so his creational standards don't really matter after all. So to better understand this movement throughout the text, it helps us to get an understanding of the ancient culture at the time. In ancient Near Eastern culture, sexuality was like this. Incest was rampant. Bestiality was practiced. There was prostitution, sexual slavery, concubines, and polygamy. I think all of those will be listed because it's just a wonderful list to look at. All of that was happening in ancient culture. It was the norm. This is what the Bible then is speaking into, that type of culture. With that said, here's maybe a way to understand the trajectory as it relates to sexuality with this chart. Same epochs of time with a narrowing sexual ethic. Let me explain what that looks like. Early on, when God speaks into culture in the Exodus period, Ten Commandments, he gives a command that there should be no adultery. Only adultery was explicitly condemned at that point. Now, this would have, from the previous screen, been a major leap forward. If you go from like, hey, everything's fair game, to, hey, now you need to understand there should be no adultery, that is a huge leap forward. But we would certainly say that there are a lot of things that weren't addressed, like polygamy, multiple divorces, concubines, etc. Um, and Even authors in Scripture writing these things, they would have good reason not to include them, like Solomon, for example, right? We get into the New Testament, and what we start to see is, again, a movement toward a more ultimate ethic, one that strives for an ethical ideal, which is one partner for life, complete monogamy, Jesus also teaching on adultery, Jesus even going further and saying that some of you are just like trying to live by the letter of the law and saying no adultery. I'm going to go even further and say to lust after someone or to, to look onto another would be a form of cheating or adultery on your partner. And so you see this continued movement and call. Jesus even has a stricter teaching on divorce, even than the time in the New Testament. He's calling for everything to be more uh, lifelong and committed and then Paul even in moving into the church age is calling for singleness and celibacy not as second-rate citizens but as even a higher calling saying that some of us have chosen to take a secondary status and become married but maybe what we really should do is commit our lives in a certain way to Jesus and follow him into celibacy And then we get into the eternal age where there's no sex, as the scriptures talk about, but only one marriage, and that is between Christ and the church. So you have this narrowing ethic that actually becomes more redemptive as it becomes narrower. And the reason is because it's calling us to celibacy, it's calling us to covenant, it's calling us to lifelong partnership, it's calling us to one partner, it's calling us to these things that are redemptive and beautiful. Which leads us to our final illustration of the morning. And again, I'm setting you up for it. It's all gonna end abruptly and you're gonna be like, well, that was it? Yes, that was it. Okay, final illustration of the morning. Uh, You've heard this one before as well. And I think it relates to sexuality in an important way. Uh, There is what's called bounded set and centered set. And we've talked about it before. Um, So I'm not gonna go into a big lengthy explanation on it, but Set theory is really a branch of mathematical logic, and as you guys know how much I love math, which is zero, uh, you'd understand why this is so important to me, this this topic. Uh, But the truth is, there are all kinds of sets as it relates to mathematical logic. I'm just going to focus on two. One is bounded, and the other is central. Now, bounded sets are certainly defined by their boundary, the part that signifies that one group is separate from another group. One group is in, the other group is out. So you have those that are within the set are all inside of that particular set. Those on the outside uh, are not fulfilling that particular quality. So this is a crude illustration, but let's just say weight loss. We all start out at the beginning of the year and we're we're gonna lose five pounds. If that was the goal, all those that are in are those that Lost five pounds. All those that are out didn't, okay? Very clear boundaries, okay? We do this in the church all the time. These people are in, these people are out. Centered set is a completely different way of looking at it, meaning that everything is formed by the center. It's formed by defining what the center is. So the focus is not on the boundary. Notice there's not even a boundary in here. Even though there is always a boundary somewhere, that is not the focus it's always the relationship to the center. Now, if we we're going to talk about it again in terms of weight loss, the issue wouldn't be how many pounds were lost. Is the person moving in the direction of and orienting their life toward that thing, that goal, that hope, right? Now, years ago, this idea of set theory was applied to the church in a book called Anthropological Reflections on Missiological Issues. It's probably out of print at this point. Don't worry. Don't go looking for it. It won't be on the, uh, on the website either, okay? In that book, though, it talked about how the church is bought into the philosophy of a bounded set rather than a centered set, which means the church typically asks questions like who's in and who's out, who's qualified and who's not, um, where is the boundary, can we define what you have to believe to be in the faith, and if you don't believe it, you're out of the faith. Can we define who should be excluded and who should be included? That has been the history of the church, is trying to figure out those boundaries. And it's creating an us versus them kind of approach with the church being the gatekeeper. Frost and Hirsch make this statement. Churches that see themselves as centered set Recognize that the gospel is so precious, so refreshing, that like a well in the Australian outback, lovers of Christ will not stray too far from it. It is then a truly Christ-centered model. Rather than seeing people as Christian or non-Christian or in or as in or out, we would see people by their degree of distance from the center or Christ. What New Community has sought to do for decades now is to point people toward Jesus, to draw people toward the center, to not talk about where is the boundary of who is in and who is out, but can we all be moving to the very core of our faith, and that is God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Can we move to Jesus? Can we understand that the Bible is pointing us not just to the letters on the pages, but even more importantly, pointing us toward Jesus, pointing us toward the author of life and the giver of faith. The centered set of church does not focus on the boundaries that keep people out, but what it is that compels people to move to the middle. We give up the need to be gatekeepers and instead call every one of us to abide in Christ. That's why we say things often about abiding and being with, being present, knowing God, and being known by Him. The church has spent far too long asking the question, how far is too far as it relates to sexuality? I know that was a question that was asked in my youth group when I was a student, when I was a youth pastor, and probably was asked last week in this youth group, right? We're always asking that question, how far is too far? That is a bounded set question or approach. We're bumping up next to the edge, wondering, like, can I go a little further or can I not, right? A centered set approach is really calling people to answer that quite differently. And a basic answer would be one that we've seen in the scriptures before. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. What you notice from this is it's a movement away from the boundary. They're not defining where the edge is. They're not saying, well, if you did this thing, you went too far. If you did this thing, well, you're still okay, right? No, what the, the text is doing is saying fidelity and monogamy and permanence and love. These are the characteristics of who Jesus is. And so we're calling you to move toward Jesus. We're calling you to move closer to the center. And that movement takes us away from in and out and toward the ethics of the kingdom, which is faith and love and peace and Jesus. Abrupt ending now. Let me pray. God, We uh, covered a lot this morning, and a lot of it is big and theoretical and uh, a bigger picture. And yet, God, I'm convinced that it's how we view what it is you're saying to us that is so important to our movement into what you're calling us to be as kingdom people. If we understand that the culture we're swimming in is so individualistic, it makes it so hard for us to understand that the text is so communal and community driven. And so God, may we see through the lens that you're asking us to see, that it's community before individual, that it's this big picture understanding of sexuality and not just the fine details, that as we begin to express and live out the kingdom life in community, that we more fully embody what it means to be your kingdom people. So God, please keep calling us back to the center Please keep reminding us that it is Jesus we follow and that our lives are to reflect that. Help us not to be bound to the edges but rather help draw us closer and closer to you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.